This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Doug Ford was on this show yesterday and uh, talked about how uh, Hamilton is uh, positioning itself for LRT. And as the city moves forward, basically said the funding is there uh, for you to use it as you see fit. And um, now it, it appears that it, it may be up to city council yet again to uh, to have another vote. Let's bring in Donna Skelly, councillor, city councillor for Ward 7. She is with us now. Donna, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Anytime. So you sound like you're very happy. <laughs> you, know, well, you, know, I, you know I'm for the LRT, Donna, so I don't agree <laughs> with you on this. I'll come clean right away. But well, you, you look at uh, you. You're just giddy, aren't you? No, I'm not giddy. I think it's important, though, that um, people in this city have an opportunity to to make a decision based on what they want and what they believe is best for this city. But to have had uh, the Liberal government hold us hostage and say it's the LRT, and these were the words right out of Ted McMeekin's mouth, it's LRT or nothing, if you turn it down, you go to the back of the line, well, what are you going to do? A lot of people felt, well... You know, how do you turn down a billion dollars? I think with what uh, Doug Ford has said, and we still have to win an election, but uh, when we, and if and when we form government, people in the city, the residents, the the electorate get to decide what they want. Do they want LRT or do they want a billion dollars to invest in enhanced transit and infrastructure? And in my heart, I think that they're going to choose the billion dollars for enhanced transit and infrastructure. So you don't think city's council is going to hold firm on this at all? I don't think they will. And I don't think it's city council so much. I think what you're going to see is an election in the fall, a municipal election, that will be determined on your position on LRT. So the people who will eventually sit around the, the table will either... Uh, be in favor of LRT or opposed to LRT, they ultimately will make the final decision. But the electorate has an opportunity to put people in those chairs according to how they uh, feel about LRT. Uh, about, uh, I think about two hours after I had uh, Doug Ford on the show yesterday, the Liberal Party of Ontario releases a press release saying Doug Ford admits he's going, he will scrap the Hamilton LRT. Uh, Earlier today, Conservative leader Doug Ford publicly admitted that he would scrap the Hamilton LRT. Here's the exchange he had with Scott Thompson on AM 900. I say, Councillor Donna Skelly, who is running for your party, has been a vocal opponent of the LRT. Are the two of you on the same page on this issue? Ford says, sure, I think we're on the same page. They go on to say Ford and the Conservatives are beginning to show where their cuts are really coming from. Are you worried this is going to be used against you? No, not at all. In fact, I mean, they're quoting as much as I love this. They're quoting me in a liberal press release with your boss. No, I, I, I think that they're, you know, I mean, put it into context. They're using it he against has, us. He has used. He has stated emphatically, and and just listen to his his comments last night. We will not make the decision, but what we're saying is, unlike the liberals, mm-hmm. we are not holding you hostage. Unlike the liberals, you get to keep the billion dollars. Unlike Ted McMeekin and the Liberals, you won't go to the back of the line. You will be able to use that money in Hamilton for enhanced transit and infrastructure. I think that's pretty clear. And he has said he will allow people in the city to elect uh, a, a government, a municipal government, based on how they feel and their stance on LRT. And I think that this is a huge decision 
it's a lot of money, and they should have had this opportunity all along. Uh, are you worried that at the end of the day, uh, because of what you foresee happening or could happen, the LRT is gone, and basically we've got the money, but we're we're doing things with it that would have been done anyway. The only no, thing because is, we don't have we, the money, Scott. We, we don't. I, you, you know, like the at, at the end of the day, um, you know, are, are you are you using money that should be used for city building to, to fill potholes? Well, we're not going to be filling potholes. We're going to be repairing roads, not just filling potholes. Temporary. So, is um, the only way to repair roads not to get an LRT? Is that the only way to do it? Because like, well, now, because before you were saying, hang on a sec, Donna, before you were mm-hmm. saying that the liberals gave us no choice, you get mm-hmm. the LRT or you don't get the money, you're basically saying that if you get the LRT, you don't get any other infrastructure, you don't get your potholes fixed or your roads repaired. We said that? When did we say that? Well, what I'm again, to you, you is, is that why can't, what I'm saying to you is why can't Hamilton... Uh, get what other cities have and city building projects like an LRT and not have to do it at the sacrifice of falling bridges or potholes in streets, which no other city really has that big of a problem. So why can't we, like, uh, why are we, why do we have to give up LRT just to fix our, our crumbling roads, I guess is the question. Can, well, can, can, a, can a conservative government or a liberal government or an NDP government uh, provide these city building projects and keep up the maintenance on our infrastructure? Because you're saying we can't. You're saying it's either one or the other. Actually, Scott, you're not letting me answer the question. So, respectfully, I'm saying if you want to have increased taxes, and I can tell you as a a city councillor, people in the city, this is a municipal issue, so we would have to bump up taxes. We have a $3 billion infrastructure deficit, and that means... The life of a road could be thirty years. We've got it at a hundred. So, because Hamilton City Council road. hasn't, because Hamilton City Council hasn't done the right thing in the past with roads, we have to give up an LRT and blow the money on on that we would have used on an LRT on just up on maintenance. Well, because City Council hasn't uh, had the opportunity to maintain its roads and infrastructure, such as the access up the mountain. You can point the finger of blame anywhere you want. I've been on the council for two years. I can tell you people don't want to see another 10, 15, 20% increase to cover the cost of, of addressing our infrastructure. It's reality, Scott. There isn't enough money to do all things for all people. If you want the money to be spent on infrastructure, then do it. The other thing I think you're forgetting is I still don't believe that this city qualifies for LRT, and I'd love to see the actual numbers. Don't forget there's a criteria that is used, and that is, uh, the speed and um, the number of riders. And the number of riders in our uh, HSR has gone down consistently. So I'm not even sure we would, have, we would have qualified for the LRT funding to begin with. So we have an opportunity now to not only, as you're saying, you know, fix potholes, fill potholes, but we're talking about new roads, uh, replacing roads, sidewalks, bridges, these are things that we have to do. When your house is falling apart, when the roof is leaking, you don't put in a pool. And right now we need to Why does every other na- why is every other city around us getting a pool though? Because they, they all are. they they all have they all have a modern inf- they, they all uh, well, uh, Mississauga, Kitchener Waterloo, uh, Ottawa's Kitchener-Waterloo in the process. Still isn't operational and they had to pay for a third. 
Um, and don't forget, it's it's different. We can we can also have a, a like I just don't under I just don't understand I just don't understand why we have to give up a future city building project just to 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 improve our uh, to do the maintenance on our infrastructure. You don't have to. We should be able to do both of them. You don't have to. You ha- where's the money coming from, Scott? Where's the money coming from? Where where, where it always play? comes from? Ask your ask your cohorts on council. You know, like again, uh, the cities—the cities that have modern transit so, don't so, have massive potholes. They don't have bridges that are falling down necessarily. So that's fine, but what I'm like, why can't why why do we always have to be a second-class city where you know if whenever we want anything good like a stadium, we have to wreck it. Whenever that we want anything like a like an LRT to take us into the future uh, and be a modern city and city build, well, we can't do that because we got to fill our potholes. It just seems that whenever we get a chance to move forward, we take two steps back by doing what we would have done anyway. See, now that's for you and I, because I don't believe turning away the the LRT is two steps back. I think it's forward thinking. I don't believe that the LRT is a progressive um, means of transit. I believe that we can have a better uh, form of transit right across Hamilton. I spoke with a man at this rally last night who said he has people who are losing jobs because our HSR is so unreliable. We need to... So let me ask you this, Donna. Five years from now, when we don't have an LRT, will we have the absolute best HSR system? And can I pull you back on this show and say, look exactly what we've created? Because what I'm worried about is we'll lose the LRT and nothing else will really change in Hamilton. That's what I'm worried about. And we're going to botch this up the same way we botched up the stadium. That's my worry, and that this money will go, and we'll have nothing to show for it, and we'll still have the same problems we always had. We won't have the same problems because we will have addressed serious infrastructure needs in the city of Hamilton without asking the taxpayer to increase the municipal tax levy, uh, and they feel that they're tapped out. We will have enhanced, if city council, don't forget, this is up to the city council of the day. So b- five years assuming, from now, if this is canceled. that LRT is going to be rejected. Well, I, you why know, why are you assuming that? Well, I, I'm because that's the way the conversation started when we were joking around about how giddy you were. Well, but let's say it hasn't. Do you, would you? I mean, there's absolutely no. At the end no of the day, the, at the end of the day, I'm worried that the the, the LRT will be gone. And there'll be nothing mm-hmm. to show for it. And and like and and unless five years from now we are going to have a state of the art rapid bus transit system that puts the rest of the world to shame. Because with this kind of money, you should be able to have a absolutely flawless transit system. Absolutely. If you're gonna, no, if you're, if you're gonna take no, if you're gonna take the money from LRT and put it towards that, uh, and and in in three years or, or or so, promise me that you're going to have the absolute best transit system, and we're gonna have none of the complaints that we see. You know, I think you might have something there, but I I, I just think this is gonna be another stadium debacle. I think that the LRT would be another stadium debacle. All right. Thanks, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Donna Skelly's been with us, city councillor for, for uh, Ward 7. we got to let her go because Fred uh, Eisenberger, mayor of City of Hamilton, is with us now. Mayor Fred, thanks for taking the time. Oh, hang on a sec. Uh, mayor, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. No problem. So how does this change the discussion, Mayor? Are you concerned that city council may use this as an opportunity to scrap the LRT? Well, this, uh, that's not going to happen in this term of council. Uh, clearly, this council has said uh, we're moving forward uh, by majority vote, and uh, and uh, that's the way we're proceeding. So, uh, 
you know, I did say early on that this is going to continue to be a roller coaster, and uh, I expect this will be uh, somewhat of an issue in the provincial election, and it will be an issue uh, in the upcoming uh, municipal election as well. And, uh, you know, we're moving forward on the basis of uh, council's direction. So money's being spent. Uh, you know, we're upwards of uh, $90 million, either, uh, you know, spent or committed at uh, at this point in time. It'd probably be upwards of $100 million by the time October rolls around. Uh, based on the commitment that we've made to uh, get this project done and uh, get this city building benefits happening in the city of Hamilton sooner rather than later. So I'm uh, I'm going to continue to move on in that direction. Um, uh, I'm not uh, you know particularly pleased that people are continuing to try and undermine council's direction, and I think uh, we uh, will continue to make sure that we fulfill what uh, this council said it wants to do. Uh, Doug Ford said yesterday on this show and uh, up at Carmen's that it's up to, to the city on uh, up to them on how they spend this money. If it doesn't get spent on LRT, how would it be spent? Um, lots of talking about infrastructure and, and, and improved bus transit. But at the end of the day, uh, if we don't get LRT, will we see that? Will we see a, a flawless bus system? I think it's uh, reasonable for people to ask uh, how this would be funded and uh, what that would mean in terms of provincial precedent for other municipalities that would like to have discretionary dollars to do with whatever they will. Uh, that is uh, that is unusual. It certainly never happened before. and certainly opens the door to other municipalities kind of making the same claim. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, these projects are financed. Uh, the, you know, the LRT project is going to be financed over 25 or 30 years on a payback basis. So there's not a pool of money sitting there somewhere to say, here, here, Hamilton, go and have a billion three to do with whatever you want. Uh, this is financed. And so whatever anyone else might want to propose would also have to be financed and, and rationalized and go to Treasury Board and all of the other things that uh, that any government needs to do to rationalize these investments. So uh, I think it's an oversimplification to suggest that this money could be just utilized for whatever else. And uh, and, and the reality is that, uh, you know, in my view, and, and I think in the view of many, the best bang for our buck is to continue on with a significant LRT city building project that uh, has significant benefits attached to it, including employment and everything else that uh, that comes with it. We've talked about those issues many, many times before. The uplift in terms of development that's already happening, you know, people are pleased with where Hamilton is today uh, in, 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 in some measure that that is happening because of LRT, the, the, the promise of LRT. Investors are already purchasing properties to, uh, to prepare themselves for future developments. And the, and the current developments that are happening are all pointing their finger at LRT as, as kind of the prime mover for them to move ahead now because they understand that this is going to be a fixed asset that is going to you know help them fulfill their development uh, desires, and that's good for the city. So you don't have to look far to Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, you know, I met with uh, Ken Sealing, the regional chair there, uh, you know, the, late last week. Uh, they, they've already seen about $2 billion of additional additional investment in their city as a result of the LRT that's not yet open. And so, uh, you know, if anyone's prepared to throw that away, uh, I think that would be a very difficult choice for them to make. 
And I'll certainly uh, be making the case that this is a wise and uh, significant, important investment for the city of Hamilton. It seems that you know, with the with the pre the the current government, the wind government, the way the PCs are positioning this is it's the LRT or you don't get anything. But the way uh, you know it's now being presented to me by the PCs, it's LRT or infrastructure money. Um, if we get LRT, will our will we not get money to to fill our to fix our roads and infrastructure? Yeah, we get both. And, uh, you know, we've been getting uh, LRT or infrastructure money specifically for water and sewer from both the federal and provincial governments. That's been a focus. And the, and the current focus for both the province and the federal government has been uh, public transportation. Neither one of them have, uh, have financed uh, road repaving and road repair ever. Uh, that has not been a, uh, a a priority for the province or the federal government. They've left that to municipality. So it would be a total departure from what's ever been done before. And uh, it would be uh, a, a really rich uh, bit of news for any municipality out there that uh, has an infrastructure deficit, and that's most of them, be looking to uh, you know what they might have done in Hamilton to suggest, well, where's our billion dollars? We, uh, we have infrastructure deficits, too. We have needs. Uh, we've been asking for those kinds of dollars. Even though we're getting them on a per-project basis, having discretionary dollars delivered to any municipality would be a godsend. Uh, but it's not easily not easily done. And so, uh, you know, it's a reasonable question to ask is, how, is this fiscally responsible? Does this make sense in the context of the kind of the budgeting process for the province of Ontario? And is it realistic to expect that this is actually going to happen? Fred Eisenberger has been with us, Mayor of the City of Hamilton. Mayor, thank you for the time. I understand you're busy. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, as always. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Today marks uh, 50 years, hard to believe, since the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. To talk more about all of this, Misha Poor is with us, Vice President, Vision of Diversity, Equity rather, and Inclusion, West Virginia University, and with us now. Misha, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Thank you, Scott, for having me. I appreciate you. So 50 years has passed since the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, back then, uh, a, a lot wondered what was happening with the world, where, where the world goes from here, specifically where does America go from here. Fifty years out, what is the message to young people? What resonates with young people in regard to Martin Luther King Jr. 50 years later? I think the message that should resonate is that we still have work to do, right? We've made progress over the years. But there's still things that need to be done, and we all have a responsibility to, to make sure that we are living as one community. I mean, so that's what I would say. Uh, certainly lots of attention in regard to what is happening with police services and the black community in America. What do you think Martin Luther King would have to say about this? I mean, one of the things he definitely was an advocate for was, of course, our Constitution, the freedom to protest, to organize, to speak out. And, and I think that America is doing that. You know, I think people are basically saying that they, you know, we're not being treated equal, that we have a right to have inclusion, we have a right to feel safe from our law enforcement. And, of course, it's not all law enforcement that is doing these things. But at the same time, we do have a responsibility to join together to make sure we look at the, the different policies that are in place and practice and make sure that we are, you know, being protected properly. As you look back at the last 50 years, Misha, and, and see what's happened through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 
90s right into the next millennium. Uh, are there periods where there's been more support than there's been less? Has it been a steady climb? Has it been a steady increase in awareness? Or are there ebbs and flows in this over the last 50 years? You know, Scott, I think you're always making progress. I mean, it, I would be, you know, remiss to sit here and think that we're where we need to be. In no way am I trying to say that. But each day a person is learning about themselves and their own biases, microaggressions, and things that they can do to change your individual self of how they interact and how they're more intentional with doing the work that they do, whether it be recruiting women to leadership roles, whether it be making sure that minority are given the actual salaries they deserve, whatever it may be, it is our own individual work that has to be done. So I think that that is happening. I think each day we're taking steps to plant more seeds toward change. And I think that we have to kind of, you know, to know that the work is being done, we have to be um, willing to accept that those changes have done been done. However, we can't rest in that, right? We can't be comfortable in saying enough is enough. We have to say, you know, every day is an opportunity to learn more about what we can do individually, but most importantly, how we can educate others to, to, to get what we want in society. Are you surprised 50 years later we aren't farther along? I mean, I definitely wish we were where we, that people would get some of the things that we've been raising. You know, it does seem at times that we've made progress and then some, it, it, we go backwards. Um, but I think we just have to be diligent. We have to be dedicated. And one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. was, he was certainly that. He was committed to the cause. He was very dedicated to the people of America, not just America, but to the world. And he should be an example for that. Um, he wanted people to join together in arms uh, and understand our strength as one unit, one body. And if I'm not doing well, then, Scott, honestly, you're not doing well. And if you're not doing well, then I'm not doing well. And when we start seeing that with each other and we start respecting that about um, our societies, I think we'll be further down the road. Um, and that's what I think that uh, Dr. King was attempting to, to do with his life. Can Canadians fully understand the difference in in America w- dealing with the uh, Afro-American population uh, and the Afro-Canadian population? Is there a difference there, or are we just naive to think that? You know, I think um, we, we all are sharing the same story. I mean, we, it, we may have a different, you know, a different chapter that we're in, but we all have a story where we can do better with making sure that we're intentional about our efforts that we are being more inclusive. You hear me continue to say those things. Um, and, and, and so I think that you, there's lessons that can be taken from some of the struggles that we've had here in America, and there's lessons we can take from you guys. And so I guess we meet people where they are. In Canada, the, re, the reality is you all only can speak your own truth, and you have to be able to have open conversation and dialogue to see what the growth needs to look like for you. Um, I think that we always should lean on each other as brothers and sisters and making sure that we do, again, learn from each other's history and not repeat it. But only you can do the work because only you know your problems. Um, and so that's what I would say. I think we all share. We should learn. You know, we should have a transatlantic, uh, basically, an agenda to say, you know, this is how they're doing it there. They're being successful with these efforts. We need to adapt those things and vice versa. This is going to sound like a... Uh, uh... Um, maybe an ignorant question, but what do white people not know about those who grow up black? What's, what, what are white people missing? You know, I think sometimes when this conversation of race comes up, you know, we've been taught a few things. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about race. 
we've been told those things for so many years that we really are missing those real conversations that make life, you know, what it's supposed to be, that excitement, that happiness, that freedom, that, that, that enjoying and celebrating other people's differences. And when we, you know, people say, why can't we just be one, which we, which we should be, and, and why do we have to continue to talk about differences? I wish we didn't always, we lived in a utopia and we did not have to talk about those things. I wish we lived in that type of world. But there's value in our differences, right? There's value in my history as well as your, your, your history. But what I think is often lost is people are not raising these issues just because they want to be upset. They're not raised. No one wants to be oppressed. No one wants to be discriminated against. No one wants to be excluded. And so when it's being raised, it's not being raised just to make noise. It's being raised because it truly is affecting individuals living. They're, it's being affected on how they go to work every day, what they do to care for their homes, how they're seen as citizens in community, how they're seen in their church homes. I mean, all that stuff really does play a part in really getting to how can we be one community. And so... I would say to have an open heart and an open mind, you know, to really kind of step back and check yourself and say, you know, what can I do better? What, what am I missing? And educate yourself. I always believe in self-reflection. Reflect on what you can do. What are your biases? There's nothing wrong with recognizing that you have some things that you don't like. We all have them. It's as simple as saying, do you like hamburgers or hot dogs? Do you like ketchup or mustard? You don't know why you don't like some of these things, but you just don't. But, when it co- but you should know when it comes to race that you should educate yourself on, is that your bias or is that something that someone brought to you? Some experience someone else had that stick, stuck with you that's now creating you not to really get to see the value of someone else, the character of someone else, just because of stories or, I- or incidences that someone else may have had. So learn people for yourself, but most importantly, learn why you may have some hangups. And when we're honest with ourselves, then we're able to kind of open ourselves up to learn more about our other people. And so that's what I would say. There's a Harvard study that talk about implicit biases. And I would ask you, you know, all your listeners to go on there. It's, it's a private, you know, a private test. You basically go on it free. You check and it can do anything, sexual orientation, gender, race, religion. It's all these different things. And you kind of get to see about yourself where you stand. And I think that's the first step. Where do you individually stand before you begin to say that someone's um, argument or fight or advocacy is not valid or that you don't agree? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., assassination 50 years ago. Do we need to take a different direction? Um, the methods, the, the ideology he used way back when, does it still work today? Is it the same basic message or do we have to change that? You know, I think that with with social media and the way that we are now connecting with the rest of the world, that that in and of itself brings a different way of approaching things. But I believe the message still rings true. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King talked in love. You know, one of the things he says is that you're not to be bitter and you're not to live with hate. That's something that I think always should ring true. Um, We are brothers and sisters no matter our skin color, no matter our gender, no matter where we're from, and that we should be learning one another. So how we communicate that with one another will look differently, of course, because the times have changed. But the message, however, doesn't. Unity, joining together, that we need to do it together or we will continue to be separate and unequal. If we don't recognize the other person's worth, we really are not reaching our full potential and our worth. I mean, when we begin to think in that nature, then I think we'll get to what he was dreaming and what he was implementing at that time. So the message is still the same, but the methods of how we get that information out 
and the tools that we now have compared to then, I think, are certainly different. How has the current president hurt or helped this cause? What, what, what should the president be doing, no matter who well, it Scott, is? I, well, Scott, I have to tell you, I am, you know, in my role, I cannot be political. But what I can say is this. You know, no individual controls our individual efforts. You hear me continue to talk about self-ownership, right? And it's easy to say someone else said this, someone else did this. But what are you doing to, to, to stop some of the hate that's being spread or some of the misinformation that's being spread? Are you really believing everything that you send on your Facebook page? Are you correcting people when they're making hateful comments? Are you a bystander that's not standing up for people when you have an opportunity? Are you around the water cooler listening to jokes that you know are, are not really comfortable even for you? So if it's not comfortable for you, it's probably disrespectful to the people that they're talking about. Are you doing your part? And so, you know, it's easy to say that someone else should lead. But honestly, all of us should be leaders. And all of us should be taking our ownership of how we change our country and how we change our world. Um, and so it doesn't matter what part of the, the, the continent we're on. We have an individual responsibility. Uh, what do you think the next 50 years will be like? Are you confident the, the, the U.S. is moving in the right direction? I will say to you, I'm always confident, Scott. I live in a bubble of optimism, and I have to be <laughs> honest. I live in that because I have to. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we have to make sure that we are making generations to come after us better. We have to do our part. We have to make sure that we're looking at the different things that we're bringing in programming and trainings and opportunities to plant seeds of, of, of hope in individuals that can do transformational change that we may not be able to ever see in our time. And so we have to give the tools to our young people and let them know, hey, you see something needs to be changed? Let us see. Tell the adults why, why it needs to look like that. I think every single person, no matter what station you are in life, no matter what educational degree you may have, and no matter if you have a title and positioning or not in your workplace, you have a responsibility, again, to make sure that you plant some type of seed toward the change that our future generations will, will see um, manifested. And so I am very optimistic that in 50 years, some of the problems that we have now will not be problems any longer. And while they may have different problems, that we will have helped them be able to, to, to chart the territory of living as one community. Misha Poor is with us, West Virginia University. Misha, uh, we've you talked about uh, the youth movement and change. We've certainly seen that of late with uh, youth protests on gun control. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you confident, and does that give you confidence, that the younger generation will mobilize and make change? Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> I mean, when you think because about, that seemed that seemed to cross all racial lines. It, it just it was young people speaking up, and as you said, telling the adults what to do. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you think about this. We've been telling these young people to be leaders. We've been telling them that forever. We tell them, "You're a leader." They're only five years old. You're a leader. You're a leader. They're fifteen. We're telling them they're a leader, but you know, or you'll be a great leader. They're leaders now. You know, um, they really do see things. You know, when we talk about access of information. They can see everything that's happening from across the world in seconds by just Googling it. And so the reality is they're a little bit further down the road than I think we were because of the fact that we didn't have access to the information that way. And so they're able to share their ideas and, 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 and articulate it in ways that we did not have. And so I'm excited about this generation. They have energy. They have passion. And, again, it doesn't matter about the party. You know, you, you can be whatever your party may be, your political politics, that aside. The reality is that every single youth that that have stood up in the last few years for whatever that issue is, their issues may be, we should celebrate that because they will be holding office somewhere. 
and they will be making changes in boardrooms, and they will be directing policy and procedures and training and educational programming for our for the youth to come behind them. And so I am always excited to see when young people take their place and recognize that they really can be uh, change agents. What are your thoughts on Martin Luther King Jr.'s family and their involvement in moving the cause forward? And specifically, uh, we're talking about the gun control protest in in, uh, in Washington, his granddaughter up there. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful to see that, that they are beginning to allow her to be as active. I'm sure they want her to be just in society and the way things are, are going. And again, issue aside, I think that it's, it's good to always see family of someone that we respect like Martin Luther King Jr. um, continually carrying the torch. Misha Poor has been with us, Vice President, Vision of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, West Virginia University. Misha, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Scott, thank you. Have, Have a beautiful day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The backyard chicken debate has reemerged at City Council. Uh, the planning committee did vote five to four against a study of an urban chicken pilot, but Councillor Jason Farr says he will ask for reconsideration uh, next week. I guess voting, uh, the committee voted five to four against a study of an urban chicken pilot. Uh, voting in favor of the urban chicken pilot study were uh, Jason Farr, Matthew Green, Aiden Johnson. Matthew Green, whatever happened to him? Is he still around? Is he still boycotting the radio station? Uh, Matthew Green, Aiden Johnson, he's a good guy. And Donna Skelly. Donna Skelly in favor of the chickens. Doesn't want the LRT, but wants the chickens. Uh, against Chad Collins, Robert Persuda, who's a farmer, by the way, uh, Judy Partridge, Maria Pearson, Doug Conley, all against uh, the chicken project. Uh, Flamborough Councillor Pursuita says, who's also a farmer, has property with chickens and uh, related waste, he said it can attract vermin and an urban homeowner may be ill-equipped to deal with this. You get mice. You do get rats. You get skunks. That's just the realities of the farm. Do we want that? Is that a good enough reason to keep the chickens out of the city limits. Uh, apparently, this will be revisited, but as it stands now, no. Uh, let's bring in Signa Langford, cookbook author, writer, urban hen activist, and she is with us now. Signa, thank you very much for taking the time. We appreciate this. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm always happy to talk chicken. <laughs> but, uh, not turkey, but um, I, I do want to just... I, I, I was listening very, very carefully to your introduction and... Uh, you know, feed the family, sell the rest. I, that's that's definitely a myth that I think uh, that maybe some of your farmer counselors might be uh, worried about. Uh, no chance of selling your eggs. No chance. Um, any egg that is for sale for uh, human consumption has to go through the egg grading board. And uh, so backyard uh, hen keepers won't be selling their eggs. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, council didn't say that. I don't mean to, okay, I didn't mean okay. to allude. I said that. I didn't but mean. But I want to bust the I, I, I didn't mean, I, I, hang on a sec. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I didn't mean to, to allude that council said that they were going to sell them. That That's just, that's uh, anecdotal things yeah, that, yeah, I, that yeah. I just brought up. Uh, so anyway, so, uh, so if we can't sell them, what, what, what's the sense of doing this? Well, we eat them. And uh, not the chickens, the eggs. Yes. We, uh, we eat the eggs because for a number of reasons, they are, a, 
the tastiest eggs you'll ever eat. And if you've ever uh, had an egg fresh from a, a, a coop, from a, a chicken that's been running around outside, getting fresh air, sunshine, and bugs and grass, then you know there is a difference. You know it's night and day. But we also know now, thanks to the uh, lab work uh, done by um, that other radio station, that other station, <laughs> CBC, mm. um, on the marketplace, uh, an egg from a, a free-run, a truly, truly pastured free-run outdoor hen is healthier. It has vitamin D in higher levels. It has uh, vitamin A in higher levels. It has higher levels of the, the good omega fats and lower levels of the bad cholesterols. It's just a healthier food all around. Um, and keeping a few little backyard hens, and, and I always like to make sure that people understand this, we're not talking about farming. We're not talking about putting in a, a massive operation in a person's backyard. We're talking about three, maybe four hens, depending. Every municipality comes up with its own number. Um, but I haven't seen any, any municipality suggesting any more than four, um, perhaps five on the outside with some of the other municipalities um, in other provinces. But here, three, four, that's the number being proposed. Now, three, four hens are um, smaller than most average dogs, but all put together, and they produce less noise and less poop than the average dog. So, Wait a sec, don't they start crowing as soon as the sun comes up? That's a rooster, not a chicken, not a hen, I mean. Roosters, yes, but here's another myth. So they don't make any noise? Chickens, they buck, 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 yeah, buck, yeah. you know, and... Um, but they never, squ- they, never, they never squawk or anything? They squawk if a, if a hawk comes over or sure. something's upsetting them, you know, they, mm. they squawk when they're upset. Mm. They do the henny-penny, but... You know that happens only occasionally. They'll they'll get a little excited when they lay an egg, um, which you know can be every day. And they they like to tell everybody, "I laid an <laughs> egg," and they showed it. Um, it's called the egg song. They're who who wouldn't who wouldn't want to come and look? Who wouldn't want to tell everybody they just laid an egg? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> give, sure, that's worth celebrating. The mind of the hen. There you go. To know what's going on there. <laughs> Um, but so, so how, let me ask you this, Signa. How come we can eat them and they're so good for us, but we can't sell them for others to eat? Because the egg board, the, Can- the Canadian egg farmers, Canadian egg board, uh, they like to keep uh, a very, very tight grip on how we feed ourselves um, with all sorts of, you know, we've seen the fight with uh, Michael Schmidt trying to provide his, uh, friends uh, and clients with raw milk. The, the dairy people get very upset if you step out of line. And I think a lot of the upset, especially when it comes from um, industrial egg producers, they don't like people feeding themselves. The, the industrial food system does not like people feeding themselves so the egg, or so the learning egg, where their food comes from or so, how it's raised. So the egg board isn't pro-chicken coop here then? It really depends on who you talk to within but I, I, as, a general, as a general stance, their concern is, and they'll bring this up every single time, is biosecurity. Mm. Biosecurity. They think that my four girls in the backyard here are going to give their 50,000 birds stuffed, crammed into airless, sunlightless barns, avian flu. Mm. That's not how it works. 
avian flu comes from waterfowl. It gets into these massive operations, and then it spreads like wildfire because they're like petri dishes. So, Signal, um, what does you, you talked about? And let's just let's just go with your model of three to four uh, yeah, hens. That's, that's, no, that's so a perfectly what, manageable model. So, what, what does that entail? What what sort of what size coop do you need? What do you need well, for that? Need what to, do you need? You need to do it right, and um, you can't just rig up any kind of coop because one of the things that uh, one of the counselors mentioned are are skunks. I don't well predators because yeah. like I was like to say everyone loves a chicken dinner, you know, yeah, sure. and uh, including raccoons and skunks. Uh, well, actually, skunks prefer the eggs. They won't really try and. Actually, we had a note from a, a gentleman named Rick. He said I had once I once had about a hundred chickens and just it ended up and just ended up feeding hawks, coons, weasels, and uh, fox. Was fun yeah. for a while, but didn't last too long. Well, that's that's unfortunate. Um, I've had hens for 10 years and I've never lost one to predation. And now I watch them. I don't let them out when they're out of my sight. Do you have a gun? Uh, you can keep them safe. You've got to build a solid, sturdy coop. Uh, that's all. You've got you've to predator-proof it and there's all sorts of... And what about having a shotgun standing by? Do you need that just in case? <laughs> you can do that <laughs> in the country. Yeah, there you go. If you can't do it within, I, I think the cops will come if so, uh, someone yeah. started shooting around in Hamilton. Yeah, forget the, forget the chickens. No, you start so firing, that's going to get the neighbors listen, upset. Listen, you can do it right. Look, there's So good. how do you build this? Like, what is a good chicken coop? Like, uh, So let's, let's say coop. we're going to go with the three to four hands. What, what do we got here? What do we need? You don't need much for three to four hens. Mine is an old uh, retooled garden shed. So mm. I had a little, uh, like, you know, seven by ten lawnmower shed, you know. Right, yep, yep. And I re- retrofitted it for the ladies. So that means putting on a little hatch with a ramp for them to come out in the morning. That means putting locks on everything. Um, locks that, that raccoons with their little opposable thumbs can't manipulate and open. Yeah, how do you keep how do you keep the uh, the predators out? You have to drape the whole thing in wire mesh, not chicken wire. That's a misnomer. Uh, chicken wire keeps chickens out, but it doesn't stop predators from getting in. A coyote, a fox, a raccoon can actually chew through, chew through chicken yeah, wire and sure. get to your ladies. So uh, you want wire mesh or a hardware cloth is what it's called. Uh, it's, that, it's, that, it's that little uh, half-inch square or quarter-inch square. It's really rigid. That stuff's pretty impenetrable unless you have bear in your mm. neighborhood. Don't think we're worried about that hey, now. Let me, ask you, about signal, let me ask you this, Signal. Let me ask you this, Signal. What, like, you know, uh, we, whenever we have, like, a raccoon around yeah. our house, and, yeah. you know, often you see it at, at garbage day or whatever, yeah. and, yeah. I mean, they seem to do a circuit. They seem to, oh, yeah. you know, they know they know where the fun is. Oh, so, yeah, so. Like, I could just see you sitting there with your chicken coop in your backyard of your urban house mm-hmm. and, like, you know, just five raccoons around it, just brutally tormenting the chickens even uh, though they can't get in. I mean, is no, that, does they, that happen? Um, every, every coop should, be, should have solid walls um, that they can't be tormented through at night because, yeah, that will freak them out in the night if they know that there's predator around. Um, again, you get a little shed, you've got maybe a couple of windows up higher, uh, and that's where they roost at night, up higher. Uh, they're off the ground. The coop should be wrapped around in a run that lets them get outside of the coop to forage and, and, and get a little sunshine and all that stuff. When you're not there and they're still completely safe, uh, you put a skirt of wire mesh all around, and then you put some rocks or bricks or bury that and use ground staples um, so that the digging creatures have a harder time getting in. 
there there are so many things you can do. And like I said, Knockwood, so far so good. Ten years, not lost one to predation. And believe me, I was living in downtown Toronto. I had, uh, it was, you know, garbage, not like you're saying. Yeah. You could see the raccoons trooping up sure. and down the street like they were on shift work or something, you yeah. know? Uh, what about vermin such as mice or rats? Well, mice are not a problem because, and I've seen this with my own eyes, chickens will eat mice. Um, I've, they are, as we know now, tiny dinosaurs. Would we, do we want our chickens eating the controlled food from a big fat farm mill, or do we want them eating rodents and mice from the street? We want them eating a combination of no. what they can forage, which will be all sorts of bugs, weed seeds, little sprouts, yeah. grass, um, anything they can find on the ground. We want them eating the worms, the grubs that lurk under. But you still have to feed them, right? Oh, yeah, you still yeah. have to supplement them, of course. Sure. Um, and, uh, but that stuff that you feed them, that doesn't attract other vermin? Well, it, it can. Yeah. And if I were just to leave my sack of grain or mm. pellets yeah. <coughs> leaning up against the fence... <laughs> It'd be empty. Yeah, it'd be like leaving your dog food out there. Exactly. You wouldn't leave a bag, a 50-pound bag of kibble outside, would you? Um, It would bring every... You'd lose it all from the bottom, (laughs) you know? So is this movement... I put my feed in um, the old-fashioned Oscar the Grouch galvanized steel cans. Yeah. Put the lid on, it clicks uh, shut tight, and and then that whole thing is inside another, you know, like a a bin uh, where, like a kind of a hutch where you'd put your garbage cans, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's safely tucked away. So the, pet, the, the, the vermin aren't getting at that. Um, and like I said, a chicken finds a mouse, the mouse doesn't stand a chance. I've seen chickens out hunt cats. Mm. And they just thrash the heck out of the mouse and swallow it down. So do you, so. And boy, are the eggs ever delicious after that. <laughs> So, is this a growing movement? Is there more pressure Absolutely. on, on mean, municipalities to do this? Oh, yeah. More and more are doing it. Um, and, I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the people in Toronto do, how they behave, do they follow the rules. I've always thought it made a lot of sense for your municipality to say, okay, fine, you want to do chickens, you're going to register your coop, and that's going to be 100 bucks one-time payment to mm. register your coop. And then, you know, you're going to pay a little licensing fee every year. So the municipality is getting a couple of bucks in the coffers and can afford to send out an inspector when and if there is a bad owner, mm. because believe me, there's bad cat owners, there's bad yep. dog owners, and there will be some bad chicken owners. Got to let you go there, Signa. Signa oh, Langford is no, with us. let me land on a note of... Bad chicken. All right. Okay, really one good. more. We're wonderful people. Okay, one more sentence. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's it. I think having it above board as opposed to underground the way it is now allows it to be inspected, regulated, monitored, and kept healthy for everybody. Signal Lanford is with his cookbook author, writer, urban hen activist, and Arthur author. Your latest book, Signa, real quick. It is um, Happy Hens and Fresh Eggs. Keeping chickens in the kitchen garden with 100 recipes. Signa Langford has, Langford has been with us. Thank you, Signa. Much Thank appreciated. You. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.